Good morning, everyone. Everybody hear me okay? There we go. Thanks, Asa. <laughs> Somebody left an iPad up here, by the way. I claim it is mine. Yeah. <laughs> Praise the Lord. What a beautiful week. Have, has anybody seen such a beautiful week? Uh, lately, it's been so wet around here, and day after day of sunshine and warm temperatures, I think it pushed 80. Mike and Ruth, I don't know if you experienced that in Colorado, but you picked a bad time to go away because it was beautiful. Now that you're back, it's going to get rainy and cold again, I'm sure. So, But uh, if you could turn in your Bibles to the book of James, please. And we're going to be in chapter 1 again. So about a month ago, about a month ago, we started a series uh, on the book of James, uh, and we got through the first 8 to 12 verses, I believe, 8 to 11 verses last time. I think it might have been the first 8. And, and we're going to look at that again, but just wanted to give you some context and everything. But I want to put a plug in for Sunday school this morning. Uh, Anthony, thank you very much, first of all. Um, tremendous job. But as I was sitting back there during worship, I was looking and... and that section of the country, we have a lot of people traveling. We have people who are out ill. And I saw a part, I don't know, Mike, if you saw it when you were up there, there's a whole section of the, and it's empty. And I thought, in the trumpet judgments, a third of this was wiped away. And I thought, a third of our pews are gone. So, and I thought, oh, no, it's not judgment. It's not judgment. But it's just the visual I had. So anyway, um, but praise the Lord. So let's pray, and then we'll jump into it. Father, thank you. For your untold blessings, Lord, as Anthony just sung, oh, praise you, Lord. We praise you this morning. We praise you for new life. Lord, a new day that you made. You made it for us, Lord. And may we just sit at your feet this morning. May we learn from you, Lord. May we worship, may we worship and praise you wholeheartedly today, Lord. And bless this time in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Thank you. So I decided to keep up the, uh, the precedent of odd-sounding titles. So from the Cosmic Hardware Store, I'm never going to forget it. So the, it's just gonna, it went from that to Vampire Christianity by Mike and just the craziness. So your legacy continues. Thank you, Wayne. Um, so Deep Sea Dive, and we're going to explain what that is in a little bit because that's actually a term. I didn't get this from any commentary or anywhere online or anything like that. It's a term that's been used in my family for probably 25 years, that term, deep sea diving. And it has nothing to do with getting in the ocean and diving or, or anything like that. I have to ask, is there anybody here who's been deep sea diving? And I don't mean scuba and snorkel. I mean down 100, 100 feet or anybody ever done that here? I haven't. So, okay, good. So what I'm going to say is authoritative then. Believe it. <laughs> okay. I, I did do some research on some of this though. But... I want to take a look at, let's just go ahead and read through the verses. So you can go in your Bibles, uh, James 1, 12 to 18, or I'm just going to throw it up on the screens. And I'm not going to, I'm going to put it in narrative form. I'm not going to put the verse numbers on it, but it is in order. And let's just read through this. And, and actually, if you don't mind, can we all read this together, please? So I'll start it off. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. 
For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Be deceived, my beloved brethren. Thank you very much. Um, so we need to give this context. So I'm going to go back real fast and just do a recap, and you don't have to read, I'll read this, of the first eight verses of chapter 1. So James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. So that's what we covered uh, about a month ago. So we're going to do a little quick little recap, and then we'll jump into deep sea diving in, in 12 through 18. So what we learned in that previous screen is that we are slaves. If anybody remembers that message, we talked about we're either a slave to sin or we're a slave to to righteousness. And we looked at slavery because we looked at the first verse. It was James, a bond servant of God. And we kind of unpacked that. We went through that, went through all that, that we are slaves. The second thing on the recap is that we are guaranteed that we will fall into various trials. If you look at, um, I'm going to find it here. I just lost it all of a sudden. Verse 2, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. It doesn't say if you fall into various trials. It says when you fall into various trials. And we mentioned, this was mentioned a while back. I've heard Mike, I've heard other, other um, 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 speakers mention this before. Is that you are either coming out of a trial or a temptation, you are in one right now, or you're about to go into one. Can anybody just kind of give me a nod or something that you've experienced that in your life? That's what it's like living on planet Earth as a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's guaranteed. So we're, toy, we're told to count it all joy, and we talked about how that's not very easy to do, to count it all joy. And here's how it's, I'm not going to say this is easy, but here's how we can do it. Because we know that the testing of our faith produces patience. How many here with a raised hand? 
I haven't even said it yet, but I'm going to raise my hand. Thank you, Mike. How many here need more patience? Some of you are honest with no. Yes, we all need patience. We also need to let patience have its perfect work. And we saw it said here, but let patience have its perfect work, perfect work that you may be perfect, which is mature, and complete, lacking nothing. So we talked about the first three words, but let patience kick out the first word, words two and three, let patience. And we talked about that meant to yield, to submit. We talked about the old Anabaptist word, glassenheit, and, and that means a yieldedness. And we also discussed that it is the correct posture to have during these periods of life. And something that I came away from after that message a month ago is I thought, you know, maybe I was a little too flippant in talking and maybe presenting this that it's something that we should do and not have a problem with. And if I did, I apologize because this is not easy. This is so difficult to do, to let patients, to yield, and to submit during times of testing, trials, tribulations, temptation. It's some of the most difficult times in, in our Christian walk and in our life, but it will happen, and we need to be ready for it. Uh, the next thing is if we lack wisdom, we should ask uh, for wisdom in faith. In faith comma, without doubting. Because we doubt, are we asking in faith if we have a posture of doubt? So we talked about that a little bit. I'm just adding context so we get into verse 12 and beyond. The last thing on this slide, if we do doubt, what are we like when we doubt? I've lived on this boat a million days, and I don't know if I've been alive a million days, I haven't, but I've lived here many times. We're like a storm toss. We're, we're like the storm toss sea and chaotic and double-minded and unstable. Has anybody ever been there with me before during times like this? Difficult. You, you're trying to make a decision. You can't make the decision because you're in doubt. You're confused. You're frustrated. We've all been there. And guess what? We've been there. Maybe we're there. And maybe it's coming down the road here. We've all been there. Okay. As you can see, a deep sea diver, right? So one thing about this, this picture comes from the tourist, um, tourist uh, I don't know if the agency of the government from the nation of Slovenia, actually. <laughs> so I, I wanted a diver, a very high resolution photo of a diver in an old school diving outfit, equipment, because they don't, they don't wear <laughs> clothes like that. They don't do that anymore. It's very onboard scuba, things like that. You have your oxygen tanks on you. But one thing I want to talk about this guy here is, um, and we're going to go into him in more detail, is this is the way it was a long, long time ago in, in old-time uh, deep-sea diving. And these guys would go down there, whatever they were working on. Sometimes, I mean, they were working under ships. They were working on docks. They were doing all these different things. But as you can see, he's extremely dependent on others for his life. So he's holding something in his hands, right? He's holding an oxygen line. That's his lifeline. He's dead if he doesn't have that. And then that white line, I'm going to make an assumption at this point in time, they might have had, he might have had some earphones or he could, a, little, a, a way of communicating. Okay, so, but why deep sea diving? So let me explain this 
issue that I talked about earlier that it's been something in our family for 25 plus years. Some of you folks in, in my age group, I think you'll relate to some of this. I can remember a long time ago when the, uh, Natasha and John were really, really young. We hadn't had our third because there's 10 years difference between our first and our third child. And what I can remember is I would go off to work and I worked, uh, worked in a bank and then I worked in the industry I work in now and, and through that period of time I was, it's a lot of pressure and I was, I was being promoted and transferred to different locations. I was moved all around the country for my career. And uh, I can remember, here I am doing all this stuff, traveling, you know, maybe the glamorous. Uh, by the way, if you travel for business, it's not glamorous at all. It's tiring, okay? But, but from an outside perspective, that's, oh, it's so cool. You get to fly these places. You drive all these places. No, it's not. Anyway, but one thing I'll say is that here's my wife at home, and she's interacting kids a lot so when I get home from work what does she want to do she wants to interact with an adult yet I just got home from work and I'm like I've been putting out fires all day doing all this I don't want to it's like honey how was your day at work and it's like I really don't want to talk about that but I don't want to be rude and so I came up with a term called Melissa I've been deep sea diving and that's where it comes from and what that meant was the more I traveled, the more I was promoted, I was, had a lot of pressure, new bosses all the time. The pressure on me to perform in my career was, was stronger and greater pressure and greater pressure. And so this gentleman on the slide, imagine the pressure on his body. Anybody here ever just dive into a swimming pool and go down 10 feet, 15 feet? You can feel it. Just in your ears, you can feel it. Imagine being down like this, the pressure you would feel on your body. And so I always told her, I've been deep sea diving, and that was code. So I didn't want to be rude or anything like that. That was code. is like, it's been a very stressful day, and I just need to, to unwind a little bit before we go into, hey, how was your day and all that. Did I explain that well? <laughs> She's nodding yes. Okay. So that is deep sea diving. But how does deep sea diving tie into James chapter 1, verses 12 to, to 18? So here we go. Why deep sea diving? The diver is in a foreign hostile atmosphere where one mistake or a lack of judgment can have serious consequences. So just remember that picture that you just saw. What if his suit tears? What if the, uh, the line... The oxygen line gets detached. Um, what if he's attacked by marine life, a shark, barracuda, whatever, you can think of it. Um, the diver is completely dependent on those in the boat for his oxygen, communication, and range of motion. So think of the diver. So let's say he has a 100-yard a lead with his oxygen line. And he's down there working, doing what he's doing. Probably getting paid to do it because you don't know if you want to do that for fun. And then he sees something out there a ways, another 50 yards, 100 yards, and he wants to go check it out. Does he just start walking over there and go check it out? No. His range of motion is determined by the line that's hooked to him or hooked to his, his outfit. And typically in the older school stuff, you had a guy at the top on the boat with a bellows going like this 
to get the oxygen down the line for him. Well, what happens if the guy just stops doing that? You get the point, right? So he has no oxygen. What if the communication line gets cut? Something happens. He has no communication and he has no range of motion. He's, he's in a lot of serious problems. Deep sea diving is an excellent visual of the various trials and temptations that we experience on a daily, weekly, monthly, yearly basis in our walk here on earth. The weights on the diver's suit are akin to various trials and temptations that weigh us down. And we'll look at different verses that, that discuss that here in a little bit. And they place pressure on us. So remember, the diver is under immense amount of pressure. Now they have pressurized suits. They have all this stuff, but I'm talking about back then. They didn't have all that. His life is in the hands of others. The guy's up on the boat, right? Just as our lives are in the hands of God. And I'm also going to say our lives are in the hands of our brothers and sisters as well. And they really are. We as believers also live in a foreign and hostile atmosphere. We're in the dive suit as well. The Lord is pumping the oxygen in the bellows for us. The Lord is speaking into the one end of that communication line and we're on the other end. You see the parallels now of deep sea diving in our lives. And lastly, the pressure the diver feels is symbolically, it's, it's a symbol of the pressure that we feel. So turn in your Bibles again to James chapter 1, verse 12. My slides are busy today, so I apologize for that. Verse 12, Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. And that is a very old school diving outfit there in the middle. And you can actually see a photograph of a, a brave gentleman there who actually probably did that. So there are two words highlighted in yellow on the slides. It's endures and temptation. So the word endures is on the left. And so when you look at the bottom left, you see the Greek translation. For that, it's hypomeno. Hopefully you can read that. Uh, it means to stay under. So the diver is down deep and he makes a decision to stay under. He's enduring. We as Christians, we endure temptation. Can you run from temptation? Is that possible? I think we have to endure it and go through it with him because we know there's a promise on the other side of that temptation. He remains. He bears trials. He has fortitude. He perseveres. Did I mention to say that even in tropical waters, that diver, as he gets so deep, the water is very cold. I don't think he's got a lot of insulation on him. I don't know what he has, what type of outfit he has underneath the suit. He endures, he tarries, he suffers. And then look at number one and number two in the bottom left. He remains, he tarries behind. He remains, he abides. He doesn't recede or flee. Where is he going to flee to? If he flees, his oxygen line is cut. If we flee, our line to the Lord is cut. He can't flee. We can't flee. We can run to one place. We'll get into that in a little bit. He perseveres under misfortune and trials to hold fast to his faith in Christ. We as believers do that. 
and he also endures and he bears bravely and calmly ill treatments. The deep sea diver has a lot of ill treatments. He has a lot of issues that could really harm him. I didn't go into it, but the bends, he can get oxygen in his blood. There's a lot of things that can go wrong uh, at when you go deeper and deeper. So it's something that they really have to be careful for. So that's endures. So if we look at temptation in the bottom right-hand corner, parasimos is the Greek word, it means uh, putting to proof. Discipline or provocation by implication, adversity, temptation. Um, an experiment, an attempt, trial. A trial proving the trial made of you by my bodily condition since condition served as a test of love for the Galatians towards Paul. I want to focus a little more on the second one, though. Temptation. The trial of a man's fidelity, his integrity, his virtue, and his constancy. An enticement to sin, temptation, whether arising from the desires or from outward circumstances. So, everyone in this sanctuary today will be forced to deal with trials and temptation. Remember, we have already, we're in it now, or it's coming, we're about to. Blessed is the man who endures it, not the one who doesn't endure it. We're called to endure it. We're made for the adversity. God has formed us to deal with this. He's blessed for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life, life which the Lord has promised to those who love him, not to those who flee from him, not to those who shrink, shirk from their responsibility, shirk from their faith, shirk from prayer, shirk from yieldedness, the glass and height that we mentioned earlier. Verse 13, that didn't come out well. Oh well. Verse 13, let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. Three bullet points. What do we learn there? We learn that God cannot be tempted. Who can tempt God? Think about that for just a moment. Who has the power to contempt or to uh, tempt the Lord God? Nothing. Next, God does not tempt anyone. So we can think of examples in the Bible. We can think of examples in friends and families and even in our own lives. And some people, why did the Lord do this? It says here, God does not tempt anyone. But our third bullet point, he does allow temptation. And we know that. So I have tempted highlighted in yellow. Perazzo, to test. Scrutinize, entice, examine, go about, prove, tempt. Number one on that, to try whether a thing can be done, to attempt, and excuse me, to attempt, endeavor, to try, to make trial of, test. The purpose of ascertaining his uh, quantity or what he thinks or how he will behave himself. And then I'm going to go down to C again. I don't know if you can read that. Similar to what we saw in, in, on the last slide. To try or test one's faith or one's virtue. I want to hone in on this, this for one second. 
he does allow temptation. I have one question. Why? Why would God allow us to go through trials? Tribulations. Temptation. It's such a painful experience. We've all been there. It's painful. It reveals a lot about ourselves in our relationship with him. I'm going to give credit. This piece that's going to come up here, I'm, I'm crediting the source on this one. Pastor David Small, he's the pastor at Maranatha Christian in, on the island of Barbados. What a place to go serve the Lord, Barbados. Wow. <laughs> I think the weather's there. Pretty good there most every, most every day. So give Pastor Small credit for this. I didn't come up with this list. It's 13 items. Why does God allow trials and temptations in our life? Number one, and we saw that in the Greek, he's testing our faith. Our faith in what? Our faith in our ability to get through the temptation? Eh, No. (laughs) Guess what? We don't have the power to get through the temptation. We cannot deliver ourselves. No, it's our faith in him because he's the delivered. He's the one that provides the way of escape. Number two, why does he allow trials and temptations? To display his glory. Because when we're delivered on the backside of that trial, of that temptation, that tribulation, and we know that we didn't really do a whole lot to get out of it because we ourselves could not get out of it, and we're out of it, it's to his glory because he did the work in us. Why does he uh, allow this to happen? To stop us from doing it again or doing wrong. Hopefully we learn something. Has anybody ever been through that battle, that struggle, and then you got out of it, the Lord did something in your life, used others to minister to you, etc. And you thought, I don't think I'm going to make that mistake again. Anybody ever been there before? Yeah. Now how many have actually made the mistake again and gone, yeah, it just keeps happening. Yeah, I've been there too. We've all been there. Y'all are ashamed to raise your hands. Why again? So we put our trust in Him alone. That's why we're tried. To put our trust in Him alone. Another one? To correct us. So we may grow in faith as a result of going through that trial and that tribulation. So we may draw closer to Him to develop our character. We saw in the Greek that we just looked at, we saw that it's a test of our virtue to develop us, to understand the consequences of our mistakes, to increase our dependency on Him. This is why. This is why we go through these things. I don't think we have time to read Philippians 3, 10, 11. Please look at that another time. But that we may become more like him. And it, that's the verse that talks about that we may know him uh, in the power of his... can't remember. Thank you. And you know, we all raise our hands and go, glory to God, I want to know him. But what's right after that? The fellowship of his sufferings. He's doing that that we may become more like him. Number 12, to prepare us to help others. How many people have helped us because they've been through what we're going through? How many people have we, do we have the opportunity to help because they're going through something that we've already been through? It's for us. It's 
for the community of, of believers. And lastly, number 13, to remind us of who he is. Verse 14, but each one of you is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Older folks understand this one, but the Flip Wilson excuse doesn't exist. Doesn't work. Flip Wilson, a comedian in the 1960s and 70s, all the old people go, I know who Flip Wilson is. Yeah, I do. Um, he was, his shtick was the devil made me do it. Now he used to dress up as a lady and call himself Geraldine and do a comedy act. And he would say, the devil made me buy this dress. And it was just a comedy act. Um, but that excuse doesn't work here because when we are tempted, we are drawn away by our own desires and enticed. Our own desires. Our sinful nature desires. Does it sound like the word enticed here has an external source to it? We know that God cannot be tempted. God does not tempt anyone, but he allows temptation. So where does that fit with this word enticed? Excelco means to drag forth, to draw out, to lure forth. In hunting and fishing, as game is lured from its hiding place, so man, uh, by lure, is allured from the safety and restraint to sin. Man is baited. We bait ourselves. Allure. I didn't make the font big enough on that. Merriam-Webster um, says the power, one of the definitions, the power of attraction or fascination. How many here have fell for that one? It could be the new car. It could be the latest iPhone. It could be anything. You, your mind can go as far as you want. Attraction or fascination. Let's look at this for a second. Genesis 3, verse 66. So when the woman saw, so we're in the garden, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's number one, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, that's number two and number three, she took its fruit and ate. And of course, she gave it to her husband and he ate as well. Okay. 1 John 2.16 For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, it was good for food. The lust of the flesh. The lust of the eyes. Pleasant to the eyes. Number two in the garden. And the pride of life, number three, the tree desirable to make one wise. It's the same playbook. All of that is not of the Father, but it's of this world. So we can see a good example of enticement right out of the Bible. And there's so many examples of enticement. So, yeah, the font didn't come out right. I want to give a modern example of enticement. Okay? So, these guys... Um, they were doing some enticing this past winter at Buckeye Lake. And uh, you two guys in that picture, that's what, you get up here because you hit me in the head in dodgeball last week. So, yeah, just playing. They did. They hit me really good. Um, but what I want to say is that how do you catch this many fish? Don't turn them into the state. <laughs> Is it allurement? Huh? And winter, I've never fished on ice, never fished in the winter, but I know fishing in the summer, 
There's so many things those fish can go for, but it's got to be right. And how much money is spent in the United States alone on having the right bait, the right sprays, the right flies, however you're fishing, the right sticks of dynamite. Okay? Anyway, that is allurement. But think of that in the spiritual. Look at all those souls. Those are fish. But think of those as humans and Satan and his minions. But anyway, beyond, beyond those guys. So anyway, now we're going to verse 15. When desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown or full grown, it brings forth death. I put a pyramid up. That's not as big as I wanted it to be. So if you look at the top and work down, it's in the order of verse. Drawn away and enticed by our own desires. Then desire conceives. Then sin is born. Then fully grown sin brings death. Why is it in this order and why is it small at the top and big at the bottom? Because as it goes through its cycle, it's harder to deal with when it's at the bottom. And you know, there are off-ramps. Think of a freeway, an interstate highway. There are off-ramps for the Christian as you come down this pyramid. But if you just go fully speeding ahead, we're drawn away, we're enticed, we're drawn away by our own desires. He's not tempting us, but He's allowing it to happen. And our own we're fleshly enough to let it happen. We're broken enough to let it happen. That desire conceives. I don't have the Greek word because of time and all that. But the Greek word for conceives, if you think of, let's say, the point of conception um, uh, for a husband and a wife, the point of conception, the embryo attaches, right? And so that word means to latch on to, and that's what the Greek word is in James chapter 1, verse 15. To latch on to. Sin latches, or that desire latches on to you. And then in childbirth, nine months later, a child is born. Here, sin could be born within a second, two seconds, a minute, a day, or two, whatever. Okay? Sin is born, and then when, it, when it's fully grown, it brings death. Verses 16, 17, 18. Now we're going to get some better news. We can relax a little bit. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Don't be deceived. Praise the Lord. James is telling us, don't be deceived. He just laid out all this stuff in the source of sin in our lives and how we're captured by it. We're, we're, um, we're enthralled by it. We're, we're raptured by it. Enraptured, I should say. Don't be deceived. Every good and perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of his uh, creatures. So back to the pyramid. You don't have to read it. I think you all understand it really well. I talked about off-ramps. This is an interstate highway. You're driving from top to bottom. We're enticed. We have an off-ramp. No temptation has overtaken you such as common to man. If, you're, if we're dealing with something right now or we're going to be dealing with it, guess what? That's not new. It's been around from the beginning. No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, 
going back to verses 1 through 8, that posture of faith and yielding, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able. He will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we are able. So if we keep going down the interstate highway, it's because we want to. But with the temptation will also make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So there's a piece of the off-ramp. Here's the off-ramp as well. If we confess in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He is able to detach that desire that conceived. He is able to do that. Now we're going to wrap this up. Last slide, actually. I circled three white circles. Can anybody tell me really quick what I circled? Weights. Why does the diver have weights? Yeah. Keep them at the bottom because he's got a job to do. Right? If he didn't have the weights... He's going to be buoyant. It's going to be hard for him to do his job, whatever he's working on. Okay. Weights. Therefore, we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So, this guy here with the weights attached, is he going to be able to run the race in endurance on the, on the bottom of the ocean right there with all that pressure on him? Can he do that very well? He may be able to run a couple feet, I don't know, but with endurance? No, there's too much pressure on his body and now he's weighted down. Then you figure he might lose his, the two lines attached to him or the one line, one's attached to the other. He loses that, he's done. Fully grown sin leads to death. So how does he get up to safety? How does he get up to the surface? What's he do if he's standing there like that? Somehow he's got to get buoyant again. Well, the easiest thing I can think of, he doesn't want to come up too fast to get the bends, but he's got to get rid of those weights. And that's what Hebrews 12.1 is telling us to do. Hey, you're deep sea diving. You're in this world. There's pressure. The world, the flesh, and the devil are on you all the time. And I didn't even mention our own issues that we have ourselves. But let's be cognizant, let's be aware, and let's get the weights off so we can run the race with endurance and finish our course. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Lord, thank you we can take such a simple concept of deep sea diving and Lord, we can find... <laughs> spiritual truth and we can apply it to our lives. Lord, I pray that every person here today, Lord, I pray that we just take this to heart, that we can run our race with endurance. Lord, we all have weights on us. The gentleman in the picture has weights on his chest and on his feet. Lord, we have weights all over our body. I pray, Lord, that you help us deal with the weights that we have the weights that we carry around, that we should get rid of, yet we hang on to them. And Lord, again, we ask for grace and mercy, Lord, in helping us throw the weights and yielding to you and your purpose in our life. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.